Hello and welcome to episode 185 of Effect. Dave's Rendezvous with Destiny. I'm Matthew and we've got a packed programme uh, with two, two, count them, two creator interviews uh, later on in the, in the episode. Um, we've got no patrons, uh, no new patrons, I should say, to thank, but we have got 60-odd other lovely uh, continuing patrons who I love deeply. I was uh, watching an interesting uh, discussion in our Discord on cultural appropriation, which I thought um, our patrons engaged in. I thought, oh, God, where's this going to go? But, um, but the lovely Thomas wrote a fabulous piece on that that I really enjoyed reading this morning. Uh, so thank you all, not just those of you who comment on our Discord, but uh, all our patrons, all our patrons. But if you're not commenting on our Discord, join the Discord and join in the conversation. It's great. Right, where we go? World of Gaming next. World of Gaming. And I have only got a little bit of news for you, two pieces of news. One of which was kind of interesting, and I wish I could uh, ask Dave about it, but um, but there you go. Um, and that's UK Games Expo. Uh, reported a 23,000-odd um, unique attendees over the weekend. Now, they normally kind of uh, stay up with Origins in America, which was happening, which a uh, friend of the show and patron, Doug, thank you, Doug, uh, represents Free League over at Origins. And Origins only managed about 11,000, maybe 12,000 unique attendees at their time, which I think is interesting. Um, for us, it was the first, well, I say COVID-free, um, but I should really say COVID-regulation-free um, games convention. I know it wasn't COVID-free. Well, I don't know about people in Birmingham, but I've got COVID today. So if I start, you know, waffling on and ignoring other people or anything, just... Just bear in mind that I'm a little bit woolly-headed and, um, you know, I may forget other people are here. Uh, anyway, yeah, so uh, I'm just coming out of the back end of COVID and it's not very nice. Um, where are we? Yeah, this is, this is the sort of thing that COVID does to your head. Uh, twice as many attendees at UK Games Expo uh, compared to Origins. Origins did still have COVID regulations in, in place, although... You know, American COVID restrictions aren't that tight. I think people had to wear masks. Um, that may have um, dropped attendance figures, but I think it's just kind of interesting. Uh, were Dave here, I'd talk about it um, with him, but sadly not. Um, moving on, moving on. The other bit, the other big bit of World of Gaming news is the final, at last... The pre-release for War Stories is out, and um, and that's uh, that's uh, that started on Tuesday, which is just when I was dipping into my COVID haze. So I'm not really terribly up to date with it. Obviously, it's not a Kickstarter, so we can't see how many pre-orders have happened. What I did notice is that if you're uh, ordering in the UK and you try and order from the guys at Firelock, then you're faced with quite a heavy shipping charge. But they have uh, got partners in a wargaming company here. We'll put a link in the show notes because I can't remember exactly what it's called. It's called something like 
gaming minis uk or something like that um but i'll put a link in the show notes and you can get it from a uk shipper um as well although some people say you don't get the pdf if you order from the uk i don't know whether it's true because i haven't been there uh really in in like in the world ah, so how do you like it me doing this thing solo does it sound good um I'm not sure I like it. So let's get my first guest along. And this is a young and up and coming uh, game creator and writer who's just about to get his name right across the front cover of a fabulous campaign. Uh, the campaign is called Rendezvous with Destiny and it's by our very own Dave Seabark. Dave, Dave, welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to have me, have, uh, great of you to have me on. It's a real, it's a real eye opener for for those of us who don't do much podcasts. Listening to you go solo about how we should do it, it's great. Well done. <laughs> um, I was biting my tongue so much there. Like, anyway, I could hear you biting your tongue. <laughs> it wasn't entirely safe. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's going to make any audio here, but I could, I could kind of hear little <laughs> frustrated noises coming the through my headphones. Of teeth. Yeah, um, uh, and I've, I feel it's particularly good that uh, in my COVID haze, yeah, I've fudged it up a bit, but, you know, you weren't allowed to interrupt me and tell me I could do it better, so <laughs> that's all for a plus. Uh, um, so, welcome, Dave. Um, let me ask straight away about Rendezvous with Destiny. Have you been in touch with Al Aguila, the CEO of Firelock Games, since the... Um, I want to say the Kickstarter since the pre-order pre-order um, started. Uh, yes, um, so there's there's still been work being done um, in order to get everything right. So it's been going through the process of uh, quite a thorough edit this last week or so, um, which has actually been kind of the first time I've been put under that spotlight, which is actually really mm -hmm. good. I learned. I learned some very interesting things. Um, uh, being the being the butt of a of a professional the, the editor. subject of an editor's eye. Although when you say actually, third time, is that three editors, or is that somebody like Al or Gabe or somebody editing the first time and then a proper editor coming in? What, what, what did was, I say? Third the, time. You did say third time, I think. But but first time. The first. Now this is the first oh. time I've been under this kind of. Oh, level of scrutiny. No, I think you said it's the first time you've been under it, but I thought you said it had been through its third phase of editing or something. But no. maybe, now just forget I even said anything. <laughs> Carry on. So it's your first time being under the editor's eye, Dave. In what did you learn? <clears throat> uh, well, just, just, some, just some conventions. Um, and there's a couple of interesting things that I, I obviously use the word that too often. Mm. Um, and that was that. That was, which was taken so in out what, frequently. In, in what contents did they take out your vats? Um. So, for example, you might be saying the the players realise that the bad ah. guy does something, um, and it should be just the players realise the bad guy does something. So, 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 in conversational talk, the that works. Yeah. In in a in a product, you don't need it. So mm. that, that's that's quite an interesting thing. It's also quite interesting to see some of my drafting defaults. 
So there's a couple of things that have been pulled out around um, trying to make descriptions more active than they, they are. So some of my descriptions I can see have been a little bit passive and, and I've written that in a, in a way like as an instruction to the GM rather than something that the GM could just read out. Uh, oh, right. So, so you're, you're, you're kind of describing the scene for the GM, imagining them then riffing on that and precisely, uh, improvising yeah. it. Whereas rather... So, for example, you might say uh, that there is a uh, smell that the players might notice or something. Whereas what you should be saying is use the, the, the stench of this whatever smell it is. Exactly, yeah. Corpses <clears throat> creeps into your nostrils or something like that. So, so it's interesting because the the text where... So my my editor is a guy called Drew Saxton, who um, mm. is very, very good. Um, Firelock um, obviously engaged him to do this. Very, very quick as well. I mean, the, the book itself is about 190 pages and he went through it in a day. Um, mm. So it's very fast as well. Oh, we, we want to hire him for... Um... Well, we we I, I did tells of the old west. I did um, hint at that to him a little bit, and he seemed open to the idea, which is great. Cool. Um, so, yeah, so so the text where 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 Drew sort of said, you know, you could make this a bit more active if you wanted to, was was text that I wasn't expecting the GM to read out. <clears throat> I'm not mm. I'm not actually a massive fan of giving GMs text to read out to players. I think giving them the description and letting them like you say, riff on that description and maybe taking some bits of the text. Uh, I, I like I like that person. That's my preference. But I know some people like to read things out. So I have made a few minutes there to make that a bit easier if the players, yeah. if the GMs wanted to take that text and just, just, just say it rather than mm. ex expand on it. It is interesting though, because I think, um, you know, frankly, actually, you hardly ever use pre-generated adventures pre-created adventures Very, i mean it's not not through choice usually no yeah i mean published ones i mean obviously you pre-create your adventure yeah <laughs> but you don't use ones that other people have done i do more often and you know what i reckon i read text out more often as well yeah i mean i used to really resent the sort of box text on old D, &D modules where it would say here's your descriptive passage yeah but, yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of, yeah, I think that's where I come from as well. Yeah, but you know, a lot of the um, the free league stuff is written in that way. That means you can riff on it, or you can read it out. Actually, yeah. and it's pretty good to read out. And frankly, I don't have the brain power to improvise on top of a thing I'm reading anymore. When I was younger, I did, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, so there, there are some things that. So to take two examples. Um, in so the the campaign itself um, is well, actually before you didn't ask me about my life in gaming. You always ask new interviewees about life in gaming. Why didn't you do that for me, you bastard? New interviewees, you'll notice that later on in our second interview, I don't talk about their life in gaming either because they've already told us about their life in gaming, and you told us about your bloody life in gaming in bloody episode one, Dave. <laughs> So if you'd like to find out more about this young and up-and-coming writer, then do scroll back to episode one of the Coriolis Effect, as we called ourselves back then, where Listeners, we spent... I'd, I'd, like, a, I'd, like, I'd like to apologise for Matthew's rather 
aggressive attitude. He is under the weather and hasn't been eating enough chicken soup. So uh, I have not been eating any chicken soup. You know why? Because I can't go to the shops to get chicken soup. Well, your wife can, surely. No, she's got COVID too with this Um, whole household. We can order it in. What about about ordering in, mate? Uh, Anyway. Yeah, anyway, carry on. Uh, I can't remember what my original point was now. I, yeah, the original I was, point what we were oh fuck I can't remember who we were no I was going to say so Rendezvous with Destiny is uh, the the first campaign book for War Stories and it's set uh, in 1944 um, and it, it starts on the 5th of June and it, it takes you through Operation Overlord for the um, for the US Airborne 101st Airborne Division so you are playing paratroopers in that campaign. And I love the cover, I have to say. Um, mm. We'd seen that image before. Yes. I had no idea that it was potentially the cover for, um, for, for Rendezvous with Destiny, but the mock-up they've got on their pre-order page, and therefore I imagine uh, something pretty similar to the finished work, uh, has got the beautiful uh, Stark War Stories logo at the top. It's got this wonderful image looking up like you've just jumped out of a plane and you're looking mm-hmm. back at the plane um, uh, where somebody else is about to jump out and there's you know, there's some stuff going on in the plane. Um, but you are very much in the, in the place of a paratrooper. And then along the bottom, it has Dave Seamark, which does, really spoils the whole thing. But, um, <laughs> but there you go. Well, for you, perhaps. For me, it's, uh, it's like it's kind of it's a bit of a wow moment. Yeah, um, it is a wow moment. I'll yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, and the campaign is big. There's a lot of information in it. So there are there are seven missions. Each mission has more than one objective. Um, and each objective can be a, a scenario in its own right. So in effect, you've kind of got 14 scenarios in there, pretty much. Mm. Um, Let me ask you this thing, though. You've got these objectives, your soldiers. What stops it being a tabletop war game? skirmish level obviously um so the in and around each objective um there are there you know there is the environment there are other people um there are npcs that are going to interact with you in certain ways there are different ways of 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 getting to the objective or managing the objective mm-hmm. um and there are two what we've called uh, campaign stories that run through the whole campaign. One of them is centred around your company, the company that your your characters are, are are soldiers in, and there are stories that develop within the company that the players will uh, presumably interact with. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, there's also a, a, a campaign story relating to the enemy. I won't go into too much detail. But then there's a story, a thread that will run through the whole campaign, which is is focused on certain elements of the enemy and how the players then interact with them and then what they might do about it uh, as the game goes on. The other thing is we've been very clear with war stories. Um, the action is focused on the player characters completely. Mm. Obviously, there's a challenge in a game like this. And particularly, I think it's quite a challenge coming to a company whose history has been miniature figure skirmish war games. Yeah, um, yeah. There is a challenge about 
like you said, not making it into a skirmish game. And so I've written um, sort of battle rules that try and emulate or simulate what's happening in the wider battle and how that affects the players, but whilst at the same time making sure that the action is focused on the player's squad and what the actual players are doing. On the protagonists themselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is interesting. So those battle rules, now I know... Uh, we all know, all our listeners know who've been listening to us for any length of time, that you've been heavily involved in the development of War Stories, the game as well, working with Gabe, the author of the, if you like, the core Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, shout out so, to Gabriel Garcia, um, great, great guy, it's been a real pleasure working with him, it's been such a, a team effort. And You uh, know what, yeah, he, we should we should try and get him on in the next episode. Absolutely, yes, we will do that, because uh, he, okay. he's, he's a great guy and he's been a real pleasure to work with. Uh, but so you work with him uh, on, on that. Are are these battle rules that you just mentioned uh, in that core rulebook, or are they a thing that you get extra when you buy a Rendezvous with Destiny? No, they're in the core book. They mm -hmm. the the rules in the core book tell you how to sort of set up your own battles. So obviously, the yeah. core book will allow you to run pretty much whatever style of World War Two role-playing adventure you want to run so if you want to be um resistance fighters or if you want to be tankers or if you want the one thing it doesn't give you the information for is if you want to be aircrew and we'll oh. save that for for another for another supplement but there's information that i mean it's focused on infantry but there is there is plenty of information that if you want to run a campaign as the crew of a tank you can absolutely so there's there's a variety of things you can do um for the gm the rules around the battles give you everything you need to be able to set up your own battle within which your players are on the screen most of the time. Um, and so that gives you, so you can, you work out the, the sort of the relative strength of the two forces. You would have a, 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 a fairly high level map of the area that you are, that the battle is going to take place in. You would decide where the enemy is. You would, the default, anyway, is that you would allow the players to decide which of their own units would attack what objective. And then you zoom into what the player squad is doing. You run through the adventure. You know, they might be trying to attack, let's say they're trying to take out a, a machine gun nest, an MG42 nest. And so you'd run that from the player's point of view, making their attack, being successful or otherwise. And then once you'd reached a, 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 like a momentary pause in the action, let's say they take that that machine gun nest, and they've defeated the Germans. Um, there's a funny little side story I'll tell you in a moment. Okay. Uh, then you pause, you roll a few dice to see how the wider battle is faring. Those dice will will dictate what how the other units are, are performing. And you do that in one or two rolls. And then the GM narrates what's happening, that what the players can see, Um and here, from whatever the position battle, they're in, yeah, yeah, and then we zoom back in on the players, and they then decide what they want to do based on how the wider battle is going. And it, it does put a little onus on the GM to to narrate some stuff and be comfortable narrating stuff. And you know, you're not making so this is this is definitely where it departs from a, a, a tabletop skirmish game. You know, you don't make a roll for every NPC. You don't make a roll. <clears throat> For every unit, unit by unit, you make one roll, which gives you the sense of the sweep of the battle, 
and then you decide what makes most sense in that battle based on those results. Okay, so that's the wider thing there. But you mentioned an interesting thing. You said uh, the GM doesn't roll for every NPC. Now, you might have three players in front of you if you're the GM, but they're part of a squad. And I know that you already here uh, have a kind of... um, Everybody creates a squad level kind of backup who's in your squad, and if yeah. you die or you're injured in the in the war sto- the war stories rules, you you take your you, the next squad man steps up to the game, and we've already created him. We know a little bit about him, so you build him into a full character, and you take him on for your next character or whatever. Yeah. Uh, what about those NPCs? If if you're in a squad and you're all attacking the uh, machine gun station, um with the Germans in it, how does how are those other squad members who aren't player characters sort of accounted for? Yeah, so we so we have a concept of background characters that you just mentioned there. Mm-hmm. Um, you they are they are rolled up to a to a lower degree, obviously, than a player character. Yeah. You don't routinely get to act Control as their them. Actions. No, no. Um, and as part of the, the battle roles, there is a role to see how the battle is affecting the background characters. So depending on what you or background characters are doing, so let's say you are attacking that machine gun nest, the player characters are the ones making the actual assault. They decide that the background character squad are providing covering fire. Now right. that covering, it's a dangerous situation, but, that, but the threat to those background characters isn't as great giving covering fire as it would be if they were making the actual assault. And so that then influences the battle role to see how badly they're affected. So <clears throat> the GM would then narrate what happens. So for example, um, you could roll the dice and it shows that one of the background characters has been severely wounded um, or even killed, potentially. Um, you then narrate what happens. So if you've got um, your squad of background characters, they're behind some cover. You got you get that bad roll. One of them is killed. So as the players are running forward, the GM would then decide, okay, Corporal Smith has been killed by a stray bullet. Um, what did the other background characters do? So suddenly the covering fire is less because the background characters are trying to save Corporal Smith's life. But then the... the um, the, the actual action for the players themselves carries on. Cool. There may yeah. be occasion. There may be occasions where you have a background character with a particular skill, and on those occasions, the GM may allow you to roll one one action for a background character. So, let's say, for example, one of your background characters is a a sniper, and there's a German sniper, say, or a machine gun blocking your, your way forward. The GM might get you to roll for that sniper to shoot. The machine gun, and then allow your players to move forward without the, the machine gun fire, something like that. But you wouldn't routinely be making rolls for those background characters. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, what's the funny anecdote you wanted to tell me about oh, this yeah. machine gun nest? It's, it's, well, it's a bit of a bit of um, a bit of drafting actually that um, that Drew picked up on, which I laughed out loud when I read his comment. Um, and it was it was in an example of this and talking about attacking a machine gun nest. Um, And it said, uh, my drafting said something like, um, yeah, the PCs then capture, capture the gun and kill the crew. And uh, Drew's comment was, can we draft it? So it sounds a bit less like they just execute them. (laughs) (laughs) 
which I thought, oh yeah, that's right. so we captured the gun. What did we do with the crew? Okay, we killed them. No, so I so I changed it, but that was quite that made me laugh out loud having read it and thought, yeah, that makes sense. It does sound like they're just going to murder the crew when they get there. Yeah, remember these guys are playing World War Two soldiers, not murder hobos. If they're doing D and D. Obviously, they'd kill everybody. But, but I mean, no, there, no. There, there is an interesting thing though. I mean, actually, on D Day. Um, you know, there may not have been an official order given, but it was certainly for the paratroopers. It was uh, they weren't expected to take prisoners. Let's put it that way. Mm. So there is a immediately a moral element to the game, which actually came out really well in some of the playtesting, where um, one of the characters wanted to just kill the prisoners because they were just going to cause trouble, and Tony, as the lieutenant in the squad, was adamant. No, we're not killing any prisoners. They had a big argument about it, and uh, in the end, the prisoners did get killed, but not through a, not through their collective choice, through other things happening. But um, yeah, I think the game itself is it, it, it's obviously dealing with some pretty tough themes, and you know, there is obviously a content warning uh, at the beginning of the the campaign, and I suspect most people who want to play the game are going to be comfortable or interested in exploring those themes. But it's uh yeah, it's it's a pretty dark chapter in in human history. Um, mm. you know, marked by an awful lot of suffering from an awful lot of people. So it's 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 uh yeah, it it's something that I've wanted to try and reflect. Certainly not glorifying anything, but to try and reflect it in a way that doesn't turn it into a World War Two wasn't it terrible dissertation and actually keeps some fun in the game. Uh, certainly the playtesters who played it have really enjoyed it and I've had a lot of positive feedback for it. So we'll see we'll see how it lands when it when it actually gets into the hands of of, uh, of paying customers. <clears throat> so um but hopefully they'll like it. Excellent. Uh, we wait and see what the reaction's gonna be. Yeah, so uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the process uh, that you were going through right now some more. So you were talking about editing and what you'd learned about your own style for editing. Um, we were, I remember now, it's all coming back to me. You, mm -hmm. you say that often um, and you say you write that too often. Uh, yes. And you, you write in a style that's a bit too passive when it comes to describing the thing. Uh, have you learned anything else from that? And then um, I'm going to ask you some more stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, th I think um, not so much about my writing style, uh, although you know there was there were some quite small but frequent changes. So yeah, uses just my just my default style for using. Uh, you know, semicolons at the end of numbered lists and stuff. Uses, uh, yes. Uses which is what we were taught. Which is what we were taught, but apparently you're not allowed to do it nowadays. No. Yeah, and and you know, use of serial commas, which I don't like to use, but Drew and Firelock want, so we just left them in. When you say serial in. commas, what do you mean? As in the uh, the comma after... So if you have a list of things, you say... A, yeah. B, and C, it would yes. be a comma after B. Yes. That's, that's a yes. serial comma. So normally, 
Isn't that what the, we call an Oxford cover? Uh, I don't know. It might be. Oh. Um, but I mean, normally the the use of the word "and" would remove the need. Removes the need of a comma. Yeah, that's what um, we were taught. But well, it, well it, it's a stylistic thing, so neither way is wrong. Yeah. But um, for Firelock, they prefer to have serial commas because they feel, uh, in terms of the ease on the eye on the book, it's easier to have a comma in a serial comma in that place. So things there. Mm. So there were stylistic things like that that poor Drew had to change because there was fucking hundreds of them in the. 200 pages yeah. of the book. Um, <clears throat> he must have been cursing me at some point or another. <laughs> like, not another bloody semicolon. Um, and, and and a couple of other things. So he had a couple of really good ideas for handouts that I hadn't thought of. So, mm-hmm. um, Like so what? I've, uh, one is just... I mean, they, they're quite small, but one is the full text of the letter written by Colonel Sink who was the commanding officer of the 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment that was given to and read to all the troopers on June the 5th. So I'd, I'd taken excerpts from it and used them as quotes, but he said, well, why not just put in the whole text? So we've now got a handout with the whole text of, of that letter. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second one was a, uh, a seating plan for the C-47 Dakota aircraft. Oh, so because I I originally thought we don't really need it because yeah, you're, they're you're, jumping out at the beginning of the adventure. It's not like they're all going to climb back in again a bit later on. No, because you're you're because I I kind of hand waved a little bit, um, but actually the the scene in the aircraft just before you jump is possibly going to be one of the most exciting or tense scenes of the entire campaign. Mm. And so, in light of Drew's suggestion that we have a handout which gives you your, gives a seating plan, which is you know it's basically it's a tube with one one set of seats on one side and one set of seats on the other, but now you can visually see where your character is going to be sitting when you're when the the flak starts to hit, um, and that might actually impact upon your survival chances of getting out of the plane if it takes a hit. So Ooh, yeah. actually, it becomes much more important. So finding just a little, creating just a little image of a, the bones of a C-47 and then putting the seat down it. It's a very simple handout, but actually I think it's really effective. Cool. So there was and a that, couple of really good ideas. That, that actually uh, brings me on to the other question I wanted to ask, which is obviously you've written a lot of words. How many, how many words have you written for this, do you think? I've no idea. Um, I could fire it up and probably work it out. It's, it's oh, going, well, that's not... It's, uh, it's a lot of words. In, it's going to be in the many tens of thousands, I suspect. Yeah, it, 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 you've written a lot of words. I've seen that you've done some maps, which you've obviously you've kind of copied them out of original maps, but you've you, you've focused on particular areas and things like that. Yeah. Are those maps, though? Forgive me, but you're not the sort of cartographer of quality that I might expect if I was by those. Are they getting redrawn by somebody? Yes, 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 yes. So my um, my basic maps are are exactly that. I've tried to make them as historically accurate as I could. Um, a couple of locations that's quite difficult actually, particularly for um, there's a uh, there's, there's a there's a coastal battery on Utah Beach, and even the Utah Beach landing museum but, in France couldn't help me very much. Mm. Um, they did send me some lovely pictures of. Uh, of how it looks now and 
actually, there's a really good picture of the view inland towards oh. the first village because that because the action of this particular mission revolves around the village and the coastal battery. And so I've now got a sense of what it looks like where the church is in the village from the coastal battery. So that was really helpful um, from that. But yeah, there was there there are a few fairly dusty old maps of what that um, coastal battery actually looked like, how it was structured. But they're all pretty grainy, and there's no there is no one which is absolutely right. So I had to kind of recreate that a little bit <clears throat> um, with as much uh, historical accuracy as I could as I could manage. Um, but yes, those little maps were just ones that I've sort of cobbled together from. A variety of sources actually from maps also from aerial pictures in 1944 as well so managed to find a few few of those which has helped particularly with the map of Carantan which was again quite a difficult one to get a a 1944 street map um they, they, you know, they just don't really they're not easy to find hmm. so uh, that's kind of what I was getting is how, have you seen any of the redrawn maps yet, or is that still work to be done? I saw a couple many months ago in their sort of first draft, and was given was given the opportunity to comment on which version I liked the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but since then, they've just got with you having approved a particular style. They've they've. I haven't. Um, I haven't seen doing... any since. No. Yeah. <clears throat> and what about I'm illustrations? Looking... Are there any? illustrations that are specific to scenes that you describe in the uh, in the book that have been commissioned um so i haven't been involved in that side of it at all so mm-hmm. i don't know I, the answer to the question is i don't know right um we'll have yeah, to I've... get al Aguirre, uh to uh to on the, for in week three or something i don't know we'll, we'll work it out <laughs> but um obviously there is plenty of artwork going into it i would i would hope that some of the artwork is is reminiscent of the action that is going to be discussed uh-huh. on the particular page, but um, but we'll see. Yeah, so I haven't so I haven't been involved in that side of of um, in that cool. side. Of so it. as far I, as I, 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 I will I will get. I mean, I've got some I've got some fairly strict um, ideas about how some of the layout should, at least in principle, look because oh, right. there are so. So there are there are a number of tables, particularly around the battles, which which will tell the GM everything they need to know to run that particular battle, and mm-hmm. those tables need to be laid out in a good way and ideally just on one page or at the worst on a on a two page spread. Um, we don't want them going over two pages, so you've got to turn the page. So um, so I will get to look at it before it's finalised. Um, but we're not we're not quite there yet, so there's um, a lot of work going into it at the moment. Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, um, when do you think people are going to get their first PDFs? Having I know you're not in charge of production, but um, has Al said anything about when that's due? So the only thing I've heard is what um, what came with the announcement. So I think the PDFs are expected to be available in September. Hmm. I think so. That gives us what two months to to get the two books into their final final order, and it's quite. I mean, it's quite a challenge because I mean, Rendezvous with Destiny itself is nearly two hundred pages as it stands. This is without layout and artwork and everything. Um, the core book is four hundred and something 
without layout and artwork. So quite how, what they'll translate into, um, I'm not entirely sure, but there's an awful lot of content there. So yeah, it's, I'm it's, kind it's, of interested to see how that works, you know, with the, the view to our project as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, it's, us... really, it's really exciting. Um, and I'm, I'm also, uh, been commissioned to start the part two of rendezvous with destiny so i've started oh, that's that. good that is a vote of so. confidence they haven't even <laughs> waited to see how well it sells um, yeah so that's so fingers crossed i i think you know it it it, 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 it might you know the, the, yeah for, for for a gm who's only ever gm D, who expects everything to be kind of laid on a plate for them um they, they might, might find, find this slightly different to that. But there's a lot of help and guidance, both in the campaign and in the core book, about how to run these things. And actually, they're really quite easy, as long as the GM is happy to use their imagination a bit and happy kind of riffing we should on say, what, the, what the dice say. It's been playtested, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's not been playtested by you and us. It, it's been playtested by somebody entirely different taking your words and making them work. Yeah. So absolutely. It's yeah, it it, it yeah, so I, I think so, I think we should be reasonably confident that it's so did, so gonna did, work. Did have a great bit of feedback from one of the playtesters, which mm-hmm. uh, which was not one I was running, it was one that Gabriel was running actually. And the comment was um every now and then playing a role playing game, you get a sense of actually being there. I'm getting that sense every time I play this campaign. Cool. So, you know, I'm. It's something like that. It was that. That was the. That was the meaning of it, which is yeah. brilliant. Let's just That's hope good, that other people, when they get their hands on it, feel the same. So, fingers yeah. crossed. Brilliant. Now, um, uh, now that you're about to be a published author with your name on the front of a book, for Christ's sake, are, are you interested <laughs> in carrying on doing this podcast at all? Yes. Of Great. Course. So. Stick around and have a listen to the second interview I did, which uh, I recorded last week. This was just before I, well, it was as I was going down with COVID. So I haven't listened back to it yet. It, it made sense to me at the time, but um, let's have a yeah, listen and see how well, well, well sadly, I did. Sadly, I couldn't, I couldn't make this one. This is with um, Josh Parry, uh, a yeah. friend of the show and um, game creator. And so, yeah, we were trying to squeeze this in because... He has something up on Kickstarter at the moment. This will obviously come out in the interview. But I I got your message about it happening at six o'clock at about mm. five to seven. Yes. <laughs> so, so sadly, I wasn't able to make it. But um, yeah, cool. Cool. I'll shut up. So yeah, uh, Josh is, even as we record, he is sunning himself or sheltering from the rain in Glastonbury. So uh, that's why we had to get it done before he headed off in that direction. Um, But we're going to talk Merc Boyer. So I'm with friend of the show, Josh Parry. Welcome, Josh. Hi, thanks for having me again. We're very happy to. I think, indeed, we promised you this. I think we said (laughs) in the last time of the interview... You said, oh, I'm working on a Morkborg thing. And I said, you must come back on the show and talk to that when you kickstart it. <laughs> and you are kickstarting it right now, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess by the time people hear this, I'll be most of the way through the campaign. Um, it's already funded as of uh, right now. So mm-hmm. 
you've got nothing to lose by backing it. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And I've got to say, um, you've you've sent me a copy or at least a, an alpha version. It's called Lord of Chains. And it has a beautiful Johan Noor cover. Um, right. How easy was it to persuade Johan to do, to do a cover for you? Um, it wasn't as hard as I was expecting it to be. Um, but I think it comes from uh, the fact that he was excited about the project because it's not just me. It's um, a collaboration between me and a band, yeah. um, which I think he thought was a really cool idea. Um, and I am working with some people that he has worked with previously. So uh, namely Chris Bissett from Loot the Room, who um, does a lot of Maltborg stuff, including a, a project that did very well called Treasures of the Troll King. Mm-hmm. Um, and Johan did the cover for that, as well as some interior art and lettering, I think. So I kind of had some uh right. helpful contacts so you had the enthusiasm and i you know, i've got to say we've, we've spoken to johan in the past he's very enthusiastic about things he likes <laughs> i think it must be really hard for him not to say i'll do your cover for something <laughs> <when he sees. laughs> um and you also had then uh, uh, an old collaborator through chris Bazette. now you've got mm. chris down as editor that's right and obviously Editing games like this is a very useful and important thing. One mustn't forget. Uh, who did the interior layout? So um, the initial concepts for the layout were done by myself. Um, so that was just kind of sketching out, you know, roughly what I've designed the book primarily in spreads rather than in pages like you yeah. might do for well, uh, which more traditional books. From Merkborg, you've got to you've got to design yeah. it in spreads. <laughs> right. <laughs> So um, I kind of mapped those out for the most part um, and obviously put the content where it needed to go. And then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not really a graphic designer. I can, I can kind of muddle my way through these things. But then um, Julia King, who uh, is also my wife, mm-hmm. uh, did the rest of the layout. But she, um, you know, she's a freelance layout designer, kind of irrespective of my work in the industry. Um, and she really knows what she's doing with this sort of thing. Um, So between her and Chris's input as well, um, because Chris has designed many adventures for or scenarios for Mortborg and really has uh, a strong sense of the style and a strong sense of, I suppose, more than in any other RPG. I think the the actual content on the page in Mortborg needs to um, kind of merge with the design more so than in like a D&D book or um, a Pathfinder book or whatever else. Yeah, in so, most other games you can have columns, but you yeah. can't really have columns, can you, in Mercury? Yeah. If you do, you, you have to do, uh, pay dearly for them at some point later down the line. Yeah. At least. <laughs> um, so, yeah, their kind of their input together on the base ideas that I had, I think, is what's really elevated this. And obviously, lots of great interior art from um, a couple of other artists involved on the project. And of course, dead people. Yes, well, I think that's kind of a, the classic Morkborg now is that, yeah, you make use. I think there's other, you know, Troika, I think, also uses a lot of public domain art. But, uh, yeah, specifically the attribution to dead people is a, a classic kind of song. Very much a, a, a Morkborg um, affectation. Um, now, OK, let's we, we've got a bit ahead. I wasn't going to talk about graphic design yet, although remind sure. me to tell you that we're looking for a layout artist. So I'll be asking for your okay. um, late card. <laughs> At the end of this. Um, 
But uh, yeah, let's start off with the inception. This mm. is a collaboration with the band Wormwitch. That's right. Um, I am not familiar with that band. <laughs> are they a popular beat combo, my lad? <laughs> so uh, Wormwitch are a Canadian uh, sort of black doom metal uh, band. They are heavily inspired by um, sort of fantasy themes, I suppose, uh, but very gothic um, and dark fantasy themes. Um, I I kind of came up with this idea. I wanted to write some Mortborg stuff, but I didn't just want to um, throw a load of words onto the page and then and try and make something out of it. What I, what I wanted to do is because I feel like Mortborg really is, you know, the black metal RPG, right? It really mm. has its roots in that. Um, I, I thought it'd be a nice homage to sort of go, it's almost complete the circle, right? So Mortborg is kind of inspired by black metal music and then loops back around. And I wanted to be a part of that cycle, really. Um, so I reached out to Wormwitch asking, you know, had they heard of the game um, kind of doubtfully mm. uh, and, and assuming really that they would say, hey, this is a lovely what? idea, but yeah <laughs> exactly um but actually they were really enthusiastic and so robin harris has been my main kind of contact in the band uh, and he's also an artist who's done some of the interior art as well mm. which is great um and yeah they were really keen super interested in um kind of putting together these bundles so part of the uh the way you can pledge is you can get the worm which bundle right which contains uh, a copy of the book a copy of the CD, which was the main inspiration, Heaven That Dwells Within, is the album um, from which a lot of this content is drawn. Mm -hmm. um, and you can also get a limited edition shirt that they are producing kind of, um, you know, it's got JVC Perry logos down one sleeve, their logo down the other sleeve, and then some some of Robin's artwork on it as well, which looks amazing. Cool. Yeah. Um, and you, you skimmed over that initial question you asked them. Had they even heard <laughs> of Merc Boy yet? Um, so Robin had, I don't know about the other members, but certainly Robin had, though I don't think, I don't think he'd ever played it if I, if I remember correctly. Um, mm. but he, he has played sort of OSR D and D style stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so is familiar at least with kind of the general concept and has played RPGs before. So could instantly, you know, understand at least what I was trying to convince them to do. Um, yeah, it was my worry that I would I would write it and then they would say, sorry, I don't even know what a role-playing game is. And I would sort of go, oh, well, <laughs> mm. um, <laughs> maybe this isn't the right collaboration then. <laughs> but no, I, I was lucky there. And I, I mean, I'm hoping in future that this has already been uh, successful. So I'm, I'm hoping in future I might be able to reach out to some other bands and maybe form similar connections and collaborations with them. Yeah, no, that, uh, that, that could be really good. Um... Have they played the adventure? They have not yet, because right. uh, for the most part, it's only just really been uh, finished, essentially. So the uh, the final touches went in uh, this week, actually, um, with some of the remaining artwork and some of the stats. So now I will play test it. It would be great if I could get them uh, to play test it as well. I bet I bet they'd be interested in doing so. Um, but I will also, you know, make sure that. It works yes. <laughs> on my end. <laughs> um, and I, I, so I've got to ask, because actually one thing I neglected to do, I was so impressed 
with the uh, with the file you sent me. I spent all my time on that, and I haven't really looked <laughs> at the Kickstarter campaign itself yet. Which yeah, sure. obviously we will be putting a link in the show notes so everybody can see what we're talking <laughs> about. Um, uh, I'm just looking at now. You mentioned you've been designing it as spreads, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously spreads can be really crap on a PDF because <laughs> it shows you a page, particularly if you're yeah. you know using a device like my iPad. Yeah, yeah right. Um, so obviously I've been thinking, I want this in print. Is there a print option? Yes, there is. So, um, there is obviously a digital only tier where you can get a, uh, just a PDF, like you were saying, mm-hmm. but there is also a print tier where you can get kind of a soft cover staple bound book. Um, I, I'm coming really to prefer staple bound to perfect binding just because of the ability to lay something flat. Um, I've I've previously done some soft cover um, perfect binding stuff and I'm, you know, reflecting back on that. I think it probably is, especially for a shorter book, staple is the way to go. And it feels a bit more almost in the zine spirit. Um, I was about to say, surely it's a zine, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Okay, you haven't photocopied it. You haven't, <laughs> you haven't hand stapled it with an actual blog arm stapler, but no. that surely is in the spirit of Zine. And how many pages do you think it's going to come out to when you're when you're absolutely done with it? Yeah, so I'm uh, including the front and back cover. It will be forty two pages, I hope. Mm-hmm. However, um, there are some stretch goals, and one of those is to unlock more physical content um, for the book. So uh, if that comes through, we might be able to hit maybe fifty um depending on you know how things look i, I don't want to bloat the book like no particularly if it's force... staple bound you you you, you, yeah. you want to have one staple you don't want to put two signatures <laughs> yeah. in and uh exactly although i did see yeah. a lovely book i don't remember there was something on kickstarter that was like um really cheaply bound so the, the it was staple it was sewn but staple bound signatures and then just mm. covers on either side so the spine was Oh uh, yeah, okay. Free, and I thought, oh, that looks sexy. Nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some, uh, there's a whole another world, really, isn't there, for like printing and binding, and the the kinds of printing, the kinds of binding you can get into, um, and people do really creative stuff with it as well. There was a little, uh, what was it, uh, a project called Bucket of Bolts, which I think was in the last Zine Quest, mm. which is like I think he called it a beaky zine or something like that, where it's just a folded piece of paper but folded in such a way folded so that yes yes i, I made yeah. a comic like that when i was a kid it's it cool great. it's really cool but, <laughs> <can't draw>. um <laughs> but yeah i know exactly what you mean uh so it's looking great and i gotta say it looks so very more bog all the way through um so well done to everybody on that one you mentioned the wormwish bundle and that yes. comes uh, is a digital version and as a physical version that's correct yeah so the uh, the digital version, you can get uh, the PDF and the digital album um, as if you were buying it through Bandcamp or something like that. And then the physical version, as I mentioned earlier, is the CD, the softcover book and the limited edition shirt. Um, there's also, I just throw this into every Kickstarter I run now because people always ask me about it. I've also included like JVC Parry bundles, right, where you can get all of the sort of indie games that I have made over the years um and that is digital and physical as well depending on how you feel cool there's also some add-ons um additional soft covers for people who maybe are looking to 
um, take it to retail or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the digital disc- discography of Wormwitch, which is, you know, everything they've ever released, you can own a digital copy of. Um, and there is also the artwork for the Cavern of the Splatterhound, which is by Robin Harris of the band. Um, he is a traditional artist. So, you know, he's done this with pen and paper rather than mm-hmm. on the screen. Um, and so you can get a copy of that as well. Obviously, that is um, expensive because it's a one of a kind thing. And Robin is a professional artist. So um, that's £500. No one has taken it yet, but... Um, but One it's of there. Fans may yeah. <laughs> uh, have we got an image of that? Let's see if I can. Um... Yeah, you can scroll down. It's about um... Cabin of the Splatterhound. Oh yes, and I've yeah. seen this in the book as well. Yeah, um, that's right. But that, yeah, yeah, very nice. Could yeah, it's a cool piece. Somebody's wall. Um, <laughs> yeah. If they like death, of course. Uh, <laughs> but then, you know, I think lots of Merkborg fans do like death. That's That's really good. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that piece of artwork as well is uh, a very good example of how I wanted to kind of keep the sort of punk aesthetic of Morkborg uh, in the book, but also to kind of ramp up the gothic nature of the book, which, um, you know, Wormwitch kind of is that's more their wheelhouse, I suppose. So um, my hope is that as people read through the book, they will see this kind of subtle shift as it goes from the more punk Morkborg style stuff into the more gothic um, Lord of Chains Wormwitch stuff. Mm. Yes, I, 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 I can see that as I progress through the book. It nice. kind of starts off very much Morkborg, then kind of, I guess you'd call it softens, but not, not in a soft and um, it's not going to kill you sort of way. I feel it's going <laughs> to kill you. Um just as well, but it's kind of less hard edged in design. It's it's, it's that's nice. right. Um, uh, loving that. Um, so uh, I think we've said all the details about the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. You mentioned other bands. Yeah. Can can we say some stuff now that's going to have other bands quaking in their boots as as to people you'd like to work with? <laughs> um, well, let's see. I, I would love to work with, there's a band called Conan mm-hmm. um, who are from the UK as well, who I would love to collaborate with. Um, they, they, I think, will be my next port of call. There's, um, gosh, I wonder who else. I think the, the thing is, I, I want to make sure that the bands I'm working with are writing the sort of albums that I can draw the inspiration from right yeah so um obviously I, I'm a metal head right and I like metal albums but not all metal is the same although it is all loud um so some bands will draw more on kind of more m- modern themes whereas other others might be working in almost like more mythical kind of themes um so really it comes to kind of me thinking about you know which bands am I enjoying listening to at the moment but also which bands have lyrics in their songs that would support this kind of a thing so yeah conan is definitely at the top of my list um and depending on what they say we'll have to (laughs) well i'm thinking of um another band that my son likes actually Mm. just in terms of the art collaboration as well and that's palais royale i don't know whether their lyrics um supply enough uh merc boyer feels yeah uh, but their art is is brilliantly gothic and it's great towering um blocks of gothic buildings um, nice yeah i've not and, heard of them i'll check them out yeah check them, check them out and have a look at their art as well because i think 
I could see that uh, sort of art in this book, I have to say. Yeah. Or a, a book like this, obviously. Not mm -hmm. this book, because this is about Wormwood. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, let's just talk a little bit about um, your success so far. You've got 204 backers live mm -hmm. as we record this, and we're recording this on Tuesday before you go off on a lovely holiday. We must talk about that yeah. before the end of the <laughs> um, You've got uh, five grand in British money in the bank now. Mm -hmm. So that means you've knocked off the first of your stretch goals. That's right. Yeah. The first stretch goal is uh, more content for the PDF, basically, because um, it's a lot easier to produce digital stuff than it is to produce physical stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to be um, expanding the kind of random encounters that occur in the dark forest of Sarkash, which is covered in the scenario. Um, and also coming up with some henchmen for the Lord of Chains that you could kind of throw in uh, at that point or really at any point during the your game sessions. Um, then the, the next stretch goal, which I hope to hit is some additional artwork from John, who is one of the artists. Working I'm just going to pause you there because I'm loving your names and I just want, I want everybody <laughs> to relish your name. So yeah, your PDF content is not listed as more PDF content now, is it? So uh, Josh, tell us what you call more PDF content. It's called more screen splat. Is what I've gone for there. <laughs> that's so appropriate. And then when it comes to the art that you're collecting for now, what's that's, that's another another ink stain. Brilliant. Which, you know. And then I have um coins for the cruel after that, which is um basically I, I like to pay a competitive rate to people anyway, mm -hmm. but I see no reason that if the Kickstarter does well, I shouldn't share that with everybody involved in the project. So cool. if we hit so that, the uh, you you are already paying them, and we talked a bit about you know paying decent decent rates for artists but this yeah, is if you yeah. like profit share yeah um, basically yeah. yeah um and it's something you know I, i've been freelancing for a while for uh some companies that do very large kickstarters in the kind of hundreds of thousands mm -hmm. um and most of them have always been very generous to me and given me a, a you know small cut if it does well so i'm mm -hmm. just trying to pass that goodwill on i suppose Cool. Um, and, you know, in this, you know, the recent couple of weeks, we've heard about some creatives who have been less <laughs> generous with their cuts of profits and stuff. Let's not dwell on that. But, you know, it's yeah. good to be kind to yes, your collaborators, right. isn't it? Yeah. Couldn't um, agree more. And then the exciting one for people that want more actual physical papers Indeed. is the Tome Grows. That's right. So that will... That will basically be me um, designing that PDF digital content into the book itself, uh, making sure it fits, making sure that, again, these spreads all kind of link up nicely. Nothing feels disjointed once it's in the um, mm. physical book itself. So in um, terms of the content, then, that's the content that was on Screen Splat. That's right. Although that's... knowing me, it's likely I'll probably end up making a little bit more because <laughs> it's hard to stop. <laughs> Well, you know, you might have one of those, you know, you might end up with three extra pages and that's no good to man-made beast. You've got to do it in fours, haven't you? Exactly, yeah. And so, you know, the reason that's kind of higher up the uh, stretch goal ladder, as it were, is that it's also adding pages to this book, which means it's going to cost more to print. Um, mm. You know, we've budgeted this at the size of the book as it currently is. If we end up putting another 10 pages in, then obviously that has knock-on effects. Everything um, possible. And I, yes, Exactly. Yeah. And I print, um, I print and ship from the UK. So uh, unlike a lot of companies who like to print in where it's cheaper in China or Eastern Europe, um, 
I feel like the quality of print that we get here in the UK is slightly higher than some of the stuff that I've seen printed elsewhere. Um, it's less shipping trouble, you know, in, in today's kind of economic climate, um, stuff gets lost on shipping containers all the time. Stuff gets delayed in ports all the time. So, uh, you know, by keeping it in the UK, I'm kind of making sure that stuff can move through distribution at the, the rate that I would expect from a, a professional company, I suppose. Um, so that's why essentially it's slightly higher up the list than the other content. Brilliant. Um, and then there's uh, your last stretch goal is even more pages. Am I right? Basically, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if we hit that, I, I doubt that we will. But if we do, I'm going to try and get some new artwork commissioned uh, and really push the boat out to probably introduce um, another aspect of the scenario rather than fleshing out what's already there. I would hope to kind of make a, an additional sidetrack in this thing to work it out. Cool. So, um, uh, well, I think that's everything covered on uh, the Kickstarter. Let me ask mm -hmm. about your holiday. Where are you off to? <laughs> yeah, so I'm off to Glastonbury for the first time. Um, Brilliant. Yeah, our, our coach from Oxford is at uh, about half, uh, half past seven tomorrow morning um down to somerset where it takes place so i'm a little bit nervous about that early start but we'll see <laughs> <laughs> um and you're going down in a group of friends yeah that's right yeah so uh yeah it'll be a big group of us once we're once we're all there coming at various points over the weekend yeah brilliant um and obviously you're camping because or are yeah. you <laughs> uh, have you made enough money off kickstarters to go glamping instead no it is a tent but it's a new tent i suppose so <laughs> good so it should be waterproof um just yeah, to make hope. sure that the police arrest a drug dealer on it because that's what happened to me no. i was sleeping in a borrowed tent uh, oh no way <laughs> broke my poles and everything oh, oh so, gosh so upsetting uh anyway never mind uh, moving on <laughs> that's my story yeah so it sounds like a great package we would um I, I, I will sign up for this and I will buy this because I mm. like my Mortborg and my son likes his Mortborg too. Um, <laughs> Good. And obviously I'm going to go for print and I urge our listeners to do that as well. Is there anything you want to say about future projects that we here at uh, Effect Towers might be interested oh. in? Um, so I, I do have two more Kickstarters planned for this year, although whether both of them will actually see the live day, I'm not sure. Um, I've got something lined up for Zine Quest, which uh, should be interesting. It's, uh, it's a smaller project. It's a game that uses Scrabble tiles or um, I guess any, any word-based tiles of your choice mm. <laughs> um, and is kind of a solo RPG set in the Alice in Wonderland universe, mm. I suppose. Uh, yeah, that uses Scrabble tiles instead of dice. Um, it's a kind of a hybrid between a word game and an RPG, I suppose. Right. Um, and then for later in the year, and I'm hoping this will end up on Kickstarter around October, November, but um, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done on it, is another fifth edition module. So I just kickstarted one um, and I have another adventure, yeah, penned in for later this year, although we'll have to see how things pan out. Cool. Right. Well, um, obviously, despite Dave's recent foray into fifth edition ruins of Simba Room, we're not <laughs> yeah. a fifth edition podcast. Those are two a, uh, two a penny. But um, we might come back to you because I think we are thinking about doing a special on Zine Quest. 
Oh, nice. uh, one of our patrons, um, Hoodoo Voodoo, Craig, is heavily involved in that. So it might be fun to invite cool. both of you back to, to share experiences and advice yeah, for people who might be getting into it. But Yeah, um, cool. We'll talk about that nearer the time. I'm going to let you spend the rest of the evening with your friends and Thanks. head off to uh, Glastonbury early tomorrow morning. It's been a real cool. pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me again. It's been great to chat. So uh, it's a real shame that I wasn't able to make the uh, make that interview because uh, it would have been lovely to have chat- chatted to Josh. But I was lucky enough to bump into him several times at UK Games Expo. and It was great to to catch up with him catch up with him there um but yeah this i mean this sounds great i mean i, I still haven't played Merc boyer yet um <laughs> but um, I, you know, i've read the book now so i've you know i'm familiar with with it but no not having played it yet <clears throat> and th- I mean, this sounds really really interesting and it's it's good to say that at the point of recording there's 13 days left to go he's nearly at seven thousand pounds on a three thousand pounds um target which is great. So he's definitely got it, got it done. But yeah, there's nearly two weeks left. If anybody is inspired to go and help uh, and pledge to help uh, Josh bring Lord of Chains to um, to their table. But yeah, I mean it's yeah it, it yeah I mean it looks and feels very Morkborgy, doesn't it? And um, it, it sounds really interesting, really exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, now I can't remember. Because obviously I was going down with COVID at the time, but I had decided by the end of the interview that I was going to kickstart it, uh, and I can't remember whether I've backed it, so I need to check that out. But um, <laughs> but I but I will I will. Uh, so um, yeah, cool. I'm a bit knackered now, Dave, and uh, you sound I've got about an hour's worth of content here. So I'm going to suggest that we just cut to uh, what's happening next time we record. And um, say goodbye. Yeah, that sounds cool. So, um, yeah, uh, we got anything for next time? Well, I, could, I, mean, I did I, suggest earlier in the program that we try and get Gabe across. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, reminder. when I say get him across, I don't mean fly him here to England so he can interview <laughs> him in person no. and give him. Yeah, a, yeah, that would yeah. be good because because Gabe will have a completely different. Uh, focus on it and um that'll be great actually yeah so i'll 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 give gabriel a shout i'm sure he would be keen and the other um, thing i thought we ought to do um remember when we played the last game of um last session of um uh coriolis i had to come up with an impromptu bar game and oh yes yeah we i i, I talked about this game i half remembered and i remember looking it up that it was Karom. And I just wonder whether I might write a piece on Karam. So um, if we can't get Gabe, we'll try and put that Karam piece in. If I, if my head's in a place where I can start writing, I, uh, that might happen anyway. Or we might delay it, delay it till the week after or something like that. But Karam in Coriolis. I, I think that's a, a great idea if, if you've got the mental bandwidth to do it. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. right now I haven't. I mean, I'm going to struggle to edit, but I think I can edit this. All I need cool, to well, do well. is listen and, you know cut you out of my head i mean not out of the thing <laughs> well you cut me out the first five minutes yeah we should, we should get great. back and have me have me comment on uh, uh on all the things i was biting uh, my uh, on. And, uh, I, I have to say dave um it um uh it's not it's not comfortable doing that i don't want to do it without you again so uh i know you miss me really don't you i do really yeah 
that's about <laughs> as much as appreciation as you're ever going to get. <laughs> so no, just fine. as well, we recorded it. I certainly don't want a hug right now. Anyway, that's for sure. <laughs> no, you definitely <laughs> don't. You don't. Nobody wants a hug off me right now. No. Um, well, I so, hope you and Sue and Tom uh, all get better soon. I assume Lily is up in uh, up at uni, yeah, so she's, she's, she's safe again. from uh, yeah, COVID. Yeah, from all your exactly. horribleness. But I've been sleeping yeah. in her bed because I I well. I don't know whether it was Tom or I were the first people to go down with it. He's not so badly affected, so good, I'm not sure good. whether he actually had it a bit before us. Um, anyway, uh, so I sort of moved out of Sue's bed when I realised that both Tom and I had it, um, thinking we might save her from Trying it. Trying to protect Sue, yeah. Into, uh, into Lily's bedroom. Um, so it's handy that she's up in Norwich. Um, <laughs> but sadly, uh, Sue... Went down with it anyway. Nah. No, well, get so, well soon. Uh, all the Tyler Joneses. And I will say, I will say, actually, PSA, wear a mask. I, I think I might have caught it now I'm commuting into London on the train. And, um, yeah. you know, I think it's still worth wearing masks. It may not be yeah, massively comfortable. I mean, you know, even if you're just, even just on the train, if it's busy or just on the tube or something. Um, mm. Because it not only protects against COVID, it protects against everything else. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it seems like a bit of a no-brainer, really. Yeah. Well, you see, I've kind of given it up because um, uh, at the game shop where I was working, you know, we, we were kind of one of the last holdouts on asking customers to, to wear masks and they came yeah. in. And then we reached a point where, uh, you know, people were, more and more people were getting a bit pissed off if you asked them. And... Nobody, nowhere else was asking for them, so we said, "Let's not wear masks okay, anymore." So, yeah. at which point, I kind of hung my mask up, and, um, <laughs> and I, you know, and I didn't think to wear it on the train in my new job, but I think I should have done. I think that's possibly one of the places where it might have got me. Yeah. And having got it, it's not great. I mean, you know, I guess I've got a reasonably mild case in that I'm not dead or in hospital, <laughs> which, but, is, um, which is good. Which is good. Yeah. But it's actually it's one of the worst sort of flus I've ever had. So yeah, I don't grim. wish it on anybody. Um, no. And there's lots of symptoms that get talked about quite a lot, but there's lots that don't. And yet, when you look <laughs> them up, yes, they are symptoms of COVID. Um, yes, I think with, I don't not sure we want to go into some we don't of the want detail to of that because I'm aware of what that is, and I don't <laughs> think we want to make anybody else no. aware. So <laughs> no. So cool. shall we right. ask for our Blessings. Yes, I think so. So, uh, yeah. Well, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. And may the icons bless the Tyler Jones family. No, no, no. Just your adventures. (laughs) (laughs) Well, say bless your adventures, then you can cut that bit out if you want. Uh, The blooming GM just spent a bunch of darkness points on giving us this terrible disease. (laughs) <laughs> we have yeah. not been blessed by the icons. <laughs> no, that's true. Cool. Anyway. All right, folks. See you see you next time. See you next time. <laughs> Bye. And may the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to the Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.